you, Ms. Charlotte. <clears throat> well, good morning. Good morning. Hey, we are uh, glad that you guys are here. Um, my name is Ben Moore. I got a call last night at 9 o'clock uh, that John has 102 degree fever. So he called a couple guys and, uh, well, sure, I'm happy to be here this morning. Uh, we're excited. I haven't had a chance to, to speak here for a while. And so I'm looking forward to this. Most of you came in, you should have got a lunch bag. Um, got a little brown bag, brown paper bag. Uh, I didn't have time to put a bulletin together. <clears throat> so that's your bulletin today. We're going to talk about why on earth you got a lunch bag in a minute. Um, but let's make sure you got one of those. If not, there are some more on the back table back there. So uh, I have the opportunity recently to, about a year ago exactly, actually what's today, October 1st? A year ago exactly, I started my job at Calvary Christian School, which um, there's a lot that goes on in the educational system that I had no idea <clears throat> what it was all about. Um, the first six weeks was figuring out what all these letters mean when teachers talk about IEPs and ETRs and 504s, and I kept raising my hand saying, hey, I'm the new guy. No idea what that means. Um, I do now, so that's good. So for those of you that are in the education world, first of all, thank you, and you're not getting paid enough. Um, but <clears throat> when I think about my school life, um, I went to Rockway School in Springfield, Ohio. There were 300 kids from kindergarten to eighth grade, so it was pretty small. Um, but what I remember uh, are a couple of my teachers. Um, one was Mrs. Johnson. She was my kindergarten and first grade teacher. She was wonderful. I'm still friends with her on Facebook. We still interact. She still like talks about my kids and loves it, and we have a great relationship. Second grade teacher was Mrs. Rice. Mrs. Rice and I did not get along. Mrs. Rice was, if you looked up on the internet teacher, you would get a picture of her. Uh, tall, skinny, glasses, like, I mean, for real, the glasses that sat here that looked down upon you and was very, very strict and stern. Um, I remember the day that I called a girl, her, her name was Aaliyah Beck, and she was throwing rocks at recess, and she hit me with a rock. I was in kin kindergarten, and I called her a name for a donkey that is found in the King James Version of the Bible. Um, <clears throat> because it's in the Bible, and that's what I kept saying all the way to the principal's office. Um, it's in the Bible. Um, but she happened to be the person on recess duty, which is why I went to the principal's office. Um, but anyway, she is actually a very nice lady. If she happens to hear this online, that way she won't tell my mom that I'm talking bad about her. Um, so, but another part of our school life is our lunches. Lunch was an incredible time at school, and here, in person, is my first lunchbox. Yeah. Uh, it is Knight Rider, for those of you that can't see this. Included is the baby blue thermos that probably had rotten milk in it way more than it should, because I took milk to lunch and then would leave it in the, yeah, I don't know. My mom was like, whatever, okay. Um, yes, David Hasselhoff went with me to school every day. Um, this would be worth a whole lot of money, uh, except it was my mom's basement for a while, so it's a little rusty. 
I did uh, eventually start taking my brother's Dukes of Hazard lunchbox, which is awesome. However, I did not bring it today because Daisy Duke is on the side. So, and <laughs> I took it to school every day. So the 80s were a crazy time. Um, but eventually, I got to about fifth grade, sixth grade, and it became what? It, it, it wasn't cool to have a lunchbox, right? So you started taking a brown paper bag full of lunch. Um, but I would sit at lunch, and I would wait for everybody to open their lunch and see what you brought. Um, <clears throat> I would see Jake. His name was Jake Hart. a buddy of mine. He pulled out lunch. and He seemed to have, like, leftover pizza every day. Like, I, I don't know. They, they had pizza a lot, but... Man, I wanted some of that leftover pizza. Susie would pull out homemade chocolate chip cookies. Ryan was the rich kid. I mean, let's just be honest. He was the rich kid, and he would pull out the holy grail of lunch, fruit roll-ups. <laughs> then I would open up my peanut butter and jelly, carrot sticks, and applesauce. And everybody started trading things, right? You'd be like, Ooh, I'll take this. Nobody wanted pe peanut butter and jelly, carrot sticks, and applesauce, and I would just sit there and be mad that my mom would not pack me fruit roll-ups. Um, so, funny story is, this is not a message. I mean, this is a message that some of you have probably heard before, this sermon. Because in 2010, was the last time I gave this sermon in this room. The next day, Joyce Downey brought me two boxes of fruit roll-ups. So, I know I live close, so if she wants to drop off some fruit loops, my kids would love you. So, but today I want to connect ministry and lunch, but so uh, hang with me, uh, but let's lay some groundwork. First of all, I want to look uh, at Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 1 Peter 4.10. Each one of us should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. These verses, along with many others, teach us that God created you and I to do more than just consume. Life is not just about collecting and consuming. There, you might have heard a famous quote by Frank Sinatra that said, He who dies with the most toys wins. That is a theme in our culture that has permeated into our churches as well. Um, and so today I want to look at what God has given you and how you can use that for his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day. I pray for John. pray for all those sick. We have a lot of folks that are sick today. Uh, it's going around. And I just pray that you would give them rest and healing. I pray that this morning that you would speak through me. I thank you for this opportunity to speak your truth uh, to this incredible group of people. Uh, and uh, Lord, again, we just pray that your spirit would, uh, would, would touch our hearts and our lives today. In your son's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Life for the Christian is about serving. Life for a Christian is about giving away and making an impact for the kingdom. In the book of John, in the sixth chapter, we, see, we meet this little boy who does exactly that. A, a minister friend of mine, he says, this little boy made an eternal ripple. We don't know his name. We don't know the name of the city that he lived in. 
But we are told that he made a significant impact on the kingdom of God with his lunch. So here's a story. It probably started out as a normal day. This little boy is going about his business, and he sees this crowd walking by. And he says, hey, guys, what's going on? There's this new religious teacher, and he's going to give us a great lesson. And we're just following him to learn as much as possible. So the boy runs home, and he tells his mom, and he says, hey, mom, I'm going to go listen to this guy talk. And so moms do what good moms do, and they said, be home before dark. Make sure you have on clean underwear. Bring a sweater. He's probably like, Mom, we live in the desert. She's like, bring a sweater, it might get chilly, and pack a lunch. So he does all this. He goes out, he joins the crowd, and he runs smack dab into the teaching ministry of Jesus. Jesus teaches <clears throat> all of these people in the remote outskirts of this town, and after he finishes up, he realizes there's a little bit of a snag. Realizes that nobody has eaten. It's getting late in the day. So Jesus tells his disciples, we need to feed these people. And there we have the biblical reference for church potluck dinners. we got to feed these people. And we pick it up in verse 5. John 6, verse 5. Jesus looks up and he saw, the, saw a great crowd coming towards him. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. But Philip answers, and he says, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each of these people to have a bite. I don't know about you, but half a year's wages is a lot of money. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to use that to buy food for these people. They have a problem because Pizza Hut doesn't deliver, and they don't have a Walmart. So how on earth are they going to feed these people? Jesus says, go out and see what the people have among them. Maybe we can share. So that's what happens. And in John 6, verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves. Two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? 5,000 people, probably more, it's 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. We all have, and all we have are five barley loaves, two fish. But Jesus is not only going to take that lunch, perform one of the greatest miracles in, in Scripture, but he's also going to leave behind a visual for our life. When, when we read this feeding of the 5,000, we might say, okay, it's, not, it's a miracle. But well, what's it really mean to my daily life? Okay, the sovereignty of Jesus, his control over creation. That is super important. But how does that affect my day-to-day? -day? See, it's more than a miracle, but an application point for the followers of Jesus. And I'm going to show you how this works. So take out your sack lunch. Take out that brown paper bag. Since we're having a theme on lunch, I gave you this. And it's going to represent your life. So the first thing I want you to do is what? What happens when you take brown paper bags on a field trip? What's everybody do? They write their name on it. Why? Because they all look the same. I didn't have to write my name on that one, but brown paper bag, write your name on the top of that bag. This is your life. God is packing you a lunch. Write your name on the top. 
certain times in life, God has placed certain things into my life, into my lunch. Okay, well, the first one I want you to write down. The day you were born, God placed into my life talent and abilities. I know it's hard to write on paper when you don't have something hard to write on. That's okay. Uh, <clears throat> do your best. Talent and abilities. The day that you and I were born, God put these into our lives. Let's look at some examples. Pick any NBA basketball player, the greatest that you think of. Some of you, there's a debate. It's not really a debate, but Michael Jordan's the best there is. I still have his, his uh, basketball cards from the 90s. Again, I wish I'd have kept those like in packages. They'd be worth some money. Uh, they did not. They are all beat up, but I still have them. Um, you know, on the day that he was born, God put some talents into his life. Hand-eye coordination, ability to move quickly, tremendous leaping ability, but dedication and hard work. Those are talents and abilities God's given me. Jerry Seinfeld, he put into his lunch sack the gift to make people laugh, to be the funny guy, creative mind. Mother Teresa, the ability to look at people that are hurting and care for them, mercy and compassion, to go to others that the world cast out and give them the love <clears throat> that they deserve. And it's easy when you look at famous people to see their talents and abilities, right? It's easy to see it from them. But you know that the day that you were born, whether you're a Christian or not, God opened up your lunch bag and he put talent and ability in your life. Psalm 139, 14. It says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. Some of you in this room... <clears throat> have the ability to make money. Everything, everything you touch turns to gold. God put that in your life. Some of you are amazing salesmen. There's a saying you could sell pop, ketchup popsicles to a woman in white gloves, right? That's a gift God has given you. Our church is full of people that can tear things apart, put them back together, visualize things, and then just build them. Some of you are natural cooks. I've tasted those, that food. Some of you are incredible. You've never used a recipe in your life, and they just turn out wonderful. Some of you have the ability to, to share and to talk to people and share uh, and listen and, and hear their feelings and what they're going through. Some of you can paint or draw or play a musical instrument. Some of you are problem solvers. You see what needs to be done, the resources we have to do them, and you get the problem done. Some of you are incredible teachers. The day that you were born, <clears throat> God gave you your first birthday present. He gave you these talents and abilities. And as you go through life, you'll refine them. You'll refine those gifts that God has given you, but he placed them in your life. Look at the Old Testament. Exodus 3, 2. It says they were taking, <clears throat> they're talking, excuse me, about building the tabernacle. And God says, look, I have specifically chosen Bezel nah, I always mess this one. Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, and he's given him great wisdom, ability, expertise in all kinds of crafts. He's a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, or bronze. Some people look at their talent and ability and say, this is what I have developed. God says, no, you may have refined it, but I gave it to you. There's a pastor named Rick Warren. He says, if you are good at designing, recruiting, drawing, or organizing... If you're good at those things, there's a safe assumption that God's plan for your life includes those skills somehow. 
God doesn't waste ability. He matches your calling with your capability. So this bag is your life. God puts talent and abilities into it. So the question is, <clears throat> do you know what they are? Some folks say, I'm not good at anything. How do you discover what those natural talents and abilities are? Well, you ask a couple questions. What comes naturally to you? Those would be what your talents and abilities. Know that God expects you to use them for him and his kingdom and for his glory. So the first thing he puts in your life is talent, ability. Now, we move on from talents and abilities and we go to the point where we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. The Spirit of God comes and lives inside of us and he brings about spiritual gifts into our life. <clears throat> the Bible says in Romans 12, <clears throat> excuse me, Paul's talking to the church in Rome. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. There are four major passages that talk about spiritual gifts. When you become a Christian, not only does the Holy Spirit come into your life, wash away your sins, give you hope for eternity, but he also equips you. They're called team gifts. Administration, giving, mercy, evangelism, discernment, helping, knowledge, hospitality, faith, pastoring, leadership, encouraging, wisdom, and teaching. When God came into your life, Christ comes into your life, he brings the Spirit and he brings these gifts. And so many Christians are walking around not having any idea what those spiritual gifts are. Bottom line is if you're a Christian, you have one. You might have more than one, but you have one. What we want to say is, hey, I'd like the gift of teaching. Have you ever had a teacher that was not good at teaching? Don't point. Especially around here. There's a whole lot of teachers. We've all had a person, we've seen a person working outside their gifts. Sometimes it doesn't work. There's a lot of resources online that I'm sure John and Cody, uh, can, and the elders, can help you help determine what your spiritual gifts are. But I encourage you to take the time to determine what your spiritual gifts are. And watch how your own ministry can, can blossom. Isn't it great to know that God has given you these things in your life? These gifts to help grow his kingdom. The third thing that God has given you, I want you to write down, is called passion. Now, God has put some things into our lives that we're passionate about. The English word for passion is pretty good. But the Greek word for passion is one of the most vivid words in all of language. <clears throat> so you're going to write this down. Splachna. Sounds like something Worf would say on uh, Star Trek, Klingon, but it's not. <laughs> Klingon, no, it's Greek. Splachna. S-P-L-A-N-C-H-A. That's how you say it. How do you spell it in Greek? I don't know. Go look it up. Luke, you can answer that later. There you go. No, he's like, nope, no. Splachna. Say that real. Splachna. Come on, Splachna. Come on, you got to get that. There you go. So it means passion, but let me tell you how it gets to passion. 
So etymology is a study of words, and sometimes you have these incredible pictures. Splachna means guts. Literally guts. Let, let me read for one use of the word splachna. Acts 1, 18, speaking about Judas, and it says, With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. And there he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines slash splachna spilled out. They don't teach you that one in Sunday school. It's not a memory verse at camp, right? But <clears throat> his body rips in two and his splachna falls out. What does that do with passion? Well, it adds a verb, zomei, excuse me. Zomei is added to shplachna, and it literally means moved in the guts. That's the technical definition of this word. Anytime you see shplachna zomei, zomei, it is usually attached to what makes people emotional. If you look at the life of Jesus, what's Jesus passionate about? Number one would be helping people that are hurting. When he's walking along and he sees the lepers, the people whose skin is falling off, they live on the outside of town. It says that he was moved in spirit. He uses the word splachnizomai. When he sees the two men that are born blind, he's full of compassion. Again, it's the same word. Moved in the guts. In Luke 7, Jesus sees a funeral procession of a dead boy. In verse 7, 13, he says that Jesus' heart went out to the mother. Again, splachnizomai. And Jesus tells the mom, don't cry, and he brings the boy back to life. Jesus was passionate about lost and hurting people. So he has placed in your life, in your lunch bag, certain passions. Now your passions will change. When you were 20, you were passionate about something. That you're not at 40. <clears throat> but what are you passionate about? Maybe it's politics, maybe it's children that are abandoned or at risk. Maybe it's sports, literature, or music, maybe it's people that are hungry and homeless. What are you passionate about? So this little boy in John 6 had a lunch. And the main lesson from him is that you have a lunch that God has packed for you. Do you know what your lunch is? You have talents and abilities. You do. Do you know what they are? To serve wholeheartedly in the kingdom of God, you need to know what those are. You have spiritual gifts. If you're a Christian, do you know what those are? You need to know what those are. You have passions that God has placed in your life. Do you know what those are? How do you live a life for Christ if you don't know how he has equipped you to live that life? But not only is it important that you know what your lunch is. So you can know your talents, abilities, your spiritual gifts, and your passions. And still not impact the kingdom of God. How you impact the kingdom is after, how, after you know all of this, deciding if you're going to share your lunch with Jesus or not. There's a lot of people that you know, that I know, they know <clears throat> what their talents are. They're incredibly talented. They have these gifts. But this is their lunch. They're holding on to this lunch. I'm not sharing. But the other way to live life 
is to know what's in your lunch and share it with Jesus. Go back to John 6. A lot of people look at what God has given them, and they might say this, my lunch isn't worth a lot. Why? Because we get this culture of celebrity, these people that are well-known. They're really good at something. We say, well, we're not as good as them. We can't, we might as well not share what we have with Jesus. Let's look <clears throat> at John 6, 8, 9. Another of disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish. But how far will they go among so many? Little boy had a lunch that nobody was impressed with. Andrew wasn't impressed. Some more Greek words that, that kind of talk about this. The word barley, it doesn't say five loaves of bread. Because if you think that, it's not, it's like five loaves of wonder bread. That's, that's some, you know, at my house, that's, you know, that's, that's, that, we go through that in a couple weeks. That's fine. Five loaves of bread. This is five barley loaves. Barley was used to feed animals. So what you would do is if you were poor, you would take some of the barley, you would mix it with your pure wheat because it was more cost effective. This is not the lunch of a rich family. In fact, it was the lunch of the poor. The word for fish wasn't very impressive either. You might think, you know, Gary went fishing and pulled out a bunch of walleye. This is actually a word called obsarion, which meant a tidbit. Most likely similar to a sardine. Some people think it might even, even be like a fish paste. Oh, sounds awful. That you would spread on the bread to eat. Some sort of pickled fish. The point is, this is not a meal for a man. This is a snack for a small boy. But look at what Jesus does with a, a small lunch given to him voluntarily. John 6, 10 says, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. And Jesus then took the loaves. He gave thanks, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. This is one of those miracles you kind of wish you were there to see how it worked. We don't know if he took these baskets, and he just split the bread into the baskets, and then they just became over, overflowing. We, we don't know what that looks like. But what we know is that Jesus took these little loaves and these uh, fed thousands of people. He takes the sardines and multiplies the little bit of fish, and the people ate as much as they wanted. And what do we know about the story? There were leftovers, 12 baskets of leftovers from a lunch that was not barely enough for one little boy. And that's the second key of this sermon. You might have a small lunch. But the small lunch in the hands of Jesus still does unbelievable things. This boy could have come up with excuses why he didn't want to share. This is my lunch. I might not get in. It's not big enough to make a difference. Why share it? But instead, he allowed Jesus to use whatever he had. Everything that he had. And that little boy teaches us a lesson today. There are way more talented people in this world than me. There are, more pe there are people that are more talented than their little finger than I have. There are people, their lunch is full of Twinkies and Ho-Hos and fruit roll-ups, all that good stuff. And they say, I'm not sharing with the Lord, I'm going to use my lunch for success in the world. 
Yet when you look at how the kingdom of God works, you see that God continually blesses those that give all they have to his kingdom. So how are you going to use your lunch? Who are you going to trust with your lunch? A soccer ball at my feet is worth about 25 bucks. You can go buy it at Walmart. At the feet of Lionel Messi, he just signed a contract that could eventually be valued at $1.5 billion with a B because of a ball at his feet. A tennis racket in my hands kills yellow jackets, makes my kids laugh. In the hands of Novak Djokovic, it means 24 Grand Slam titles. A stick in my hand is a sword that I duel Titus with out in the backyard. A stick in the hands of Moses part of the Red Sea. It depends on who's holding the stick. Two fish and five loaves in my hands is barely a filet of fish sandwich. But in the hands of Jesus, it feeds thousands. You know what I love about this church? What I tell my friends, minister's friends, is that this is a church full of people who still love sharing their lunch with Jesus. Ashley shared that we needed helpers for WrestleMania. Before she got out of the room, those spots were filled last week by people stepping up to meet the need. We announced that we need food for the food pantry. The cart out there gets filled up. But there's still a lot of places that we have need. Your time, your money, and your talent. In areas like the backyard, we need teachers and helpers every week. The nursery hallway, same need, every week. The student ministries serve a meal every week on Sunday nights. The worship ministry needs people dedicated to help with sound, singers, or a better guitar player. We need you. We might need new deacons to step up, serve the body of the church here in Russellvania. Because some of our people have moved to Tennessee, right? We've lost a couple guys. I'm so glad and I thank God that he allowed me to be, for the last almost 20 years, to be a part of a church that still shares their lunch with him. God is still totally in love with using five barley loaves and two small fish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, <clears throat> I thank you for this church. I thank you for the incredible talents and abilities, those lunches that you've packed for the people in this church. I pray that we would remember that your kingdom grows through people, ordinary people, sharing what they have with you. We pray that you would use us in ways that make eternal difference in the kingdom. Again, we thank you for this time together. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Please stand and join us for our closing song.
So the challenge is pretty simple. God packed for you a launch. He gave you talents. You are talents. He gave you passions and wired you to love certain things. And he gave you gifts when you accepted him. You have everything you need for life. Are you keeping it to yourself? Or is it time to open up that lunch and say, God, you're the one that packed it. How can you use this for your kingdom? There's a, there's a Danish proverb that says this. It says, what you are is God's gift to you. What you do with yourself is your gift back to God. Have a great week.
Thank you, Miss Charlotte. <clears throat> well, good morning. Go ahead, Gary. You won't do it. Gary said we're God's bag. Blow it all up and pop it when I start. That's what she said. Too. Of course, Mike said it was a barf bag, so that's even worse. So I think Jeff said the same thing, but that's all right. Well, my name is Ben Moore. Uh, I have the privilege of speaking this morning, preaching this morning. I got a phone call last night at 9 o'clock from Mr. John Watkins, who said, Hey, I got home. Got, got my wife a hug, and she said, you're hot. And he said, I know. And she said, no, you're warm. And so he had 102 degree temperature. So uh, gave me a phone call, talked to Luke, a couple of guys. And so, but I am excited to be able to, to speak this morning. It's been about five years since I've preached up here. Uh, I explained somebody, it's been five years since I've preached in a church that has two services. So the first service, I kind of went pretty quick. Sorry, guys. This is second service. Yeah. Hold on. My voice is tired? Yeah, no, it is. <clears throat> I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. No, but um, this is a, a message that I feel like, so, so this message actually I wrote in 2010, 13 years ago. Um, it was a time in my life that was pretty hectic. In our church, in my life, a lot of things going on. Uh, if you still remember from 2010, you're going to hear it again. Most of you won't. That's fine. Miss Joyce does, because I already asked her. Um, but we'll talk about that in a minute. So this morning, uh, excuse me, it's been, it's been one year since I have, today, one year ago today, I started my job at Calvary Christian School. Um, and what I realized very quickly is I knew nothing about the educational system of America. Um, even been involved, my kids have been in school there. I was sitting in meetings and people were using all these terms that I go, I, nope, I didn't. they're using these letters, IEP, ETR, 504s, all these things, and I go, new guy, I don't know what those are. Right, Jim? Jim's, yeah, Cliff laughed at me too. Yeah, um, yeah, I kept going, guys, I don't. The fun part was when I said, what's IEP mean? And half of these teachers go, well, we don't know what they mean. They just know what they are because they forgot what the actual words are. Um, but it's been an incredible time of getting uh, to work with kids again and teachers and, and administrators. And for those of you that work in the education system, thank you for what you do. You don't get paid enough. Um, but amen. 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 If you're online, sorry, just yelled in your living room. Amen. Um, but this morning, I want to talk a little bit about my school life. I grew up in Springfield, Ohio. I went to a little school called Rockway Middle School, Elementary School, kindergarten through eighth grade, public school. We had 300 kids. It was pretty small. Um, now I work at Calvary, and there's 450 between K and 12. So it's bigger than that. But uh, still, pretty small public school. Um, I had incredible teachers. One was Mrs. Johnson. She was my kindergarten teacher. She moved up uh, to first grade with us. I explained to her that it was because she loved me so much. She wanted to follow me to first grade. Uh, she agreed. Um, but she is still my friend on Facebook. We still interact online. It's fun. She comments on my kids and all this kind of fun stuff. And her daughter it was my age, and so uh, we knew each other pretty well. Um, 
But then I got to second grade. And second grade teacher was Mrs. Rice. If you look up teacher in Google, you get a picture of Mrs. Rice. She is tall. She is skinny. She has glasses that sit right here that she, yeah, looks down at you at those glasses. She's very strict. She's very demanding. She happened to not like Ben Moore. Um, <laughs> that's my story. She happened to be on the playground the day that I called Aaliyah Beck, a girl in my class, uh, the name uh, for a donkey that's found in the King James Version. Um, <clears throat> I kept saying, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. The whole way to the principal's office. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. She didn't care. I don't know if she loved Jesus or not, but she didn't care. It was in the Bible. Um, she's actually a very nice lady, so if she hears this online, she won't tell my mom I'm talking bad about her. So um, that's my... So, but. The most important, fun part of my day, I actually asked Juliet, who started school this year, what's your favorite part of school? And she said, lunch. And I couldn't love her anymore. Uh, lunch was my favorite. And I brought with me today my lunchbox. This is my first lunchbox. It is worth way more money than it should be if I hadn't left it in my parents' basement for 20 years. So um, it's a little rusty. But it included, so David Hasselhoff came to school with me every day <laughs> with my baby blue thermos. Look at that. Don't open this because I'm pretty sure the last thing I drank was milk. <laughs> it smells real bad. Jocelyn lets me keep it because she loves me. Um, but yeah, I, had, I mean, it's awesome. I just cared. Me and Michael Knight would roll into lunch. I did eventually start bringing my brothers when they outgrew lunchboxes. Duke's a hazard lunchbox, which I still own because they left it in mom's basement and I went and got it. And they argue every time they're at my house. That's mine. Well, finders keepers. You left it in the basement. I was going to bring it, but it has Daisy Duke on the side. And the 80s were a crazy time. That was okay uh, <laughs> for a seven-year-old kid to bring Daisy Duke on his lunchbox every day. Big Confederate flag. Rock and roll. Awesome. It was a good time. But eventually we got, I figured out that I was not cool bringing a lunchbox, right? It wasn't cool anymore. So we graduated to lunch bag, lunch sack, whatever you want to call it. So you have one of these, right? I would, uh, got the, the lunch sack and I would sit at lunch. It was an incredible time to be at lunch watching what everybody pulled out of their bag. I remember Jake, a buddy of mine named Jake Hart. I think they eat pizza every day because that kid would bring leftover pizza all the time. And I remember going, I just want leftover pizza. That looks so good. Just cold, out of a bag. Just eat it, right? Again, germs didn't exist in the 80s. It was fine. Um, and then we had Susie. Susie's mom was a baker. She made fresh cookies all the time. I just had one of Brian's cookies. They were very good. You know, but Susie brought them every day. All, every day there was some sort of big baked good in hers. And then Ryan, Ryan was the rich kid. Ryan was the rich kid. Y'all had one of those friends that was, you went to their house because he had Sega, right? <laughs> some of you know what that means. Uh, he had, he would go, we, I, he'd go with me, excuse me, I would go with his family to the Reds game and we would put our drinks on the dugout. Yeah. And his dad never said no when they said, do you want a malt? Yep. You want nachos? Yep. You want a pretzel? Yep. Uh, yeah. Oh, Ryan. He was my buddy. But 
he would show up and he would open his lunch and he would pull out every day the holy grail of packed lunch, fruit roll-ups. <laughs> this is why Miss Joyce remembers this because last time I did this, 13 years ago, the next day, two boxes of fruit roll-ups showed up in my office right over there <laughs> from Miss Joyce. She's like, I remember that, yeah. Uh. So then I would open up my bag of peanut butter and jelly, carrot sticks, and applesauce. From kindergarten to eighth grade, <laughs> peanut butter and jelly. Part of it was my fault, I was super picky. Still a little picky, not as picky, because I married Jocelyn, but pretty picky. Um, no, I mean because she made me eat more food. <laughs> oh my gosh. She's at home with sick kids, so um, turn it off. Okay, um, she makes me eat better food is what I'm trying to say. Sorry about that. But then, you know, like, if you had, your lunch was like mine, you would pass food. Either, oh, I'll trade you this, I'll trade you this. Nobody wants peanut butter, carrots, and applesauce. Nobody. Nobody wants to trade with you. It was awful. My life was terrible and miserable. No, no, sorry. Just but today I want to connect your life as a Christian with lunch. So hang with me. We're going to lay some groundwork to start. First, uh, we'll look at is Ephesians 2.10. Um, also had, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, last time, I must have been blind last time I gave this because I have a lot of pages because that's, I think you guys could probably read this. It's huge, but it's all right. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 1 Peter 4.10, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. These verses, along with many others, teach us that God created you and I to do more than just consume. Life is not just about collecting and consuming. We may have heard the quote from Frank Sinatra that says, he who dies with the most toys wins. You see, that's what is the culture is teaching us, apparently 13 years ago, still is today. It's permeating into the world of churches. That churches exist for me to come in to enjoy my hour and a half, hour, 30 minutes, however late, how many trains you got to deal with. And then I get a leaf. Well, today, we're going to look at what that means for us as Christians. What has God done in our lives and how he expects us to use our lives to grow his kingdom. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I, I thank you uh, for today. I thank you for um, loving us, for providing for us, for caring for us. Uh, Lord, right now I do lift up John and all the other folks that are dropping out because of sickness, uh, Lord, it's, uh, it's pretty bad, and so we pray that you would just simply heal them, give them rest and peace. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would just speak through me, uh, that your spirit would teach us something today. In your son's name we pray, amen. So instead of consuming, what does the life of a Christian, what is it about? It's about serving. It's about giving away, making an impact for the kingdom. The book of John in the sixth chapter, we meet a little boy who does exactly that. He made what one of my minister friends calls an eternal ripple. Uh, we don't know his name. We don't know what city he lives in. But we're told that he made a significant impact on the kingdom of God 
simply with his lunch. So here's the story. Probably starts out a normal day. Little boys just doing what little boys do. I can't imagine, I mean, being a little boy back then, you probably just running the streets, hanging out, playing with friends, probably working a little bit, doing some things. Well, he sees this crowd, and they're gathering, and he, he's a nosy little boy, like most little boys are, and he says, hey, what's going on? What are we doing? And somebody explains that there's this new teacher, this new religious teacher, this new rabbi that's going, we're going outside the town, and he's going to teach. We're going to go listen what he has to say. So he goes home, and he says, mom. I'm going to go listen to this guy teach. Now, I'm not sure the last time Titus came up to me and said, Hey, Mom, somebody's teaching a lesson. I want to go sit down and listen. But this kid does. So he's there. So what's every good mom do? Well, they say, first of all, be home before dark. Okay. Put on clean underwear, just in case. Never understood that one, but sure. Most little boys probably should change their underwear at some point. Yeah. Pack a sweater. Say, Mom, I live in the desert. Pack a sweater, might, get to, might, be, might be chilly, up on the hill, pack a sweater, and pack a lunch, right? So he does all this, he goes out, he joins the crowd, and he runs smack dab in the teaching ministry of Jesus. So he teaches these people in the remote outskirts of town, finishes up, and he realizes there's a snag. See, it's late in the day, it's getting dinner time, and nobody's eating. So Jesus tells his disciples... We need to feed these people. And this is the biblical reference for potluck dinners. So now if you don't like it, sorry about your luck. Jesus said we have to feed people, so we have potluck dinners. That's what we do. No. Uh, what he says in verse 5, Jesus looks up, and he saw a crowd coming towards him, and he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked them to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, he said, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. It's a lot of food. I don't know if I'm giving up a half a year's wages to feed a bunch of people. I already feed four little kids that eat more than they should somehow. Um, but it's expensive. They have a problem too because they're outside of this town in biblical Israel. There's no, there's no pizza hut. Not a Walmart they can roll into and grab, you know, no catering, GFS, that kind of stuff. How on earth are we going to feed these people? So Jesus says, hey, just go see what everybody has. Maybe we'll share. So we get to John 8. Here's what it says. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? 5,000 people, all we have are five loaves, five barley loaves, and two fish. But Jesus not, is not only going to take that lunch and perform one of the incre most incredible miracles in the entire uh, Bible, but he leaves behind a visual for your life and mine. He says, so when we, when we read this feeding of the 5,000, sometimes you go, that's a pretty cool miracle, but like, how does it affect my day-to-day, -day, Jesus? Too? Yeah, we, we have the sovereignty of Jesus, his, cre his mastery over creation. That's incredible. But in my day-to-day, -day, as I live my life, how does that really affect me? But you see, it's more than a miracle. It's an application point for followers of Jesus. I'm going to show you how this works. So I want you to take out your lunch bag. You all should have got one of these. There's a couple on the back table if you need one. For the record, somebody said, well, I didn't have a pen for service. I don't know if you know this. There are, is a pen on every seat in front of you at your feet. And if you didn't know that, now you do. There you go. 
Uh, take out your lunch sack, and what do you do if you're going on a field trip and you have a lunch bag? <laughs> Sorry, that was loud. What's the first thing you do? Write your name on it. Write your name on your lunch bag. That's right. Write your name on the lunch bag. This lunch bag is going to represent your life. Okay? You're going to need a bigger bag? Well, that's all right. This is my life. And at certain times, God has placed into my lunch certain things for me. For me to use the way he wants us to use. And the first thing he does is on your day of your birth, he gives you your first present. He puts in talents and abilities. So write that, talents and abilities. The day you're born, God puts them in your lives. Let's look at some examples of this. So you think about the, the, the most incredible basketball player ever. And if you disagree, you're wrong. His name is Michael Jordan. You. And if you think it's somebody else... Sorry, you're wrong. Um, sorry, you're wrong. Um, but think about the talents he had. Incredible hand-eye coordination, leaping ability, a drive to succeed. Those are talents and abilities that God has given him. Jerry Seinfeld, gave, God gave him the ability to make people laugh, to see a situation and make a joke and make people laugh, bring joy to people. You have people like Mother Teresa who had the ability to see those people in need that nobody else saw and the, the courage to go to them and serve, right? That is compassion, the, the, the talents, those abilities, the ability to speak. Now, what, what happens is, is that we look at famous people, and you could list the famous people, anybody you want to think about. You can, you can identify their talents and abilities pretty easily. But know that the day that you were born... God gave you talents and abilities. God said, whether you're a Christian or not, God took your life and he said, here. Here's some talents and abilities. Psalm 139, 14. It says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Some of you out here this morning have the ability to make money. Everything you touch turns to gold. God put that in your life. Some of you are amazing salesmen. You may have heard the term, you could sell, or the phrase, you could sell ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves. You can sell anything. God gave you that gift. Our church is full of people, full of people that can tear things apart and put them back together or visualize and then just build them. I mean, it's incredible to see the amount of people in this church that can just fix things. That's why I have cars and I call people in my church. I said, hey, I need this fixed. And you all say, okay. Uh, some of you are natural cooks. You never use a recipe in your life. They just turn out good. Some of you have the ability to talk to others and, and, and share their feelings. Uh, some of you can paint or draw or play a musical instrument. Some of you are problem solvers. You see what needs to be done, the resources we have to do it, you figure it out. Some of you are incredible teachers. The day you were born, God gave you, on your first birthday, he gave you these talents and abilities. You go through life, you refine them. Michael Jordan worked out. Jerry Seinfeld wrote jokes and bombed a bunch, probably. They refined their gifts, those talents and abilities, excuse me. But God gave them to you. Look at the Old Testament. Exodus 31-2. I think that's on the screen. Do I have that one up there? Isaac 31-2. Maybe. 
there it is. Uh, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. Some people look at their talent and they say, this is what I've developed. God says, no, friends. <laughs> I gave it to you. You refined it, but I gave it to you. Pastor Rick Warren says, if you are good at designing, recruiting, drawing, or organizing, if you're good at these things, it's a safe assumption that God's plan for your life includes those skills somehow. God doesn't waste ability. He matches your calling with your capability. So if this bag is your life, I just told you that God's put talent and ability into it. The question is, do you know what they are? Some people say, I'm not good at anything. Well, how do you discover what they are? Ask yourself a couple questions. What just comes naturally? In your life, what just comes naturally? Those would be your talents and abilities. Know that God expects you to use those for him and his, his kingdom and his glory. So the first thing God puts in your life is talent and ability. Now, the next day, the next thing you want to write down, the day you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he puts something else in your life. Spiritual gifts. Write that down. God gives you spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 6 through 8, says we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, let him, oh, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. There are four major passages that talk about spiritual gifts at conversion. When you become a Christian, not only does the Spirit come into your life, wash away your sins, give you the hope and promise of eternity, but he equips you with gifts for this life here on this earth. We're called the team gifts, administration, giving. As I read this list, think about your life. What gifts? Which one of these maybe you have? Administration, giving, mercy, evangelism, discernment, helping, knowledge, hospitality, faith, pastoring, leadership, encouraging, wisdom, and teaching. When God came into your life, he brought those gifts. And so many Christians are walking around, have no idea what gifts they have. Bottom line is, if you're a Christian, you have one. You probably have more than one. So we want, what we want to do is say this. I want the gift of teaching. You ever sat in a class with a teacher that didn't have the gift of teaching? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you ever been involved in a, an organization that had a leader that didn't have the gift of leadership? It's not about the gift you want. It's about the gift God gives you. There's many resources online that can help you find your spiritual gifts. John and Cody can get you those. I can help you. Elders can help you. We've done some different things like that around here in the past as well. But isn't it great to know that God has given you things to help you in your life? Gifts. The third thing that God's given you, what I want you to write down, is passion. God has put certain things in our life that we're passionate about. Now, 
The English word for passion is pretty good. But we're going to study a little bit of Greek. Why? Because I'm a Greek scholar. Nope. I took half a semester of Greek in Bible college. It's what you have to have for a Bachelor of Science. That's what I have. Half a, so I can learn, I know the alphabet. That's about all. But this is, the Greek word for passion is one of the most vivid words in all of language. So you're going to, I'm going to say it and I want you to repeat it after me. Say it. Splachna. No, see, you were like, splachna. You got splachna. It almost sounds Klingon, okay? Splachna. There you go. Say it to your neighbor. Splachna means passion. Let me explain to you how you get to passion. So etymology is a study of words, and sometimes you get these incredible pictures from studying where a word comes from. So splachna means guts. Okay? I'm going to turn in my Bible to a verse that they don't teach you at DBS. Acts 1.18. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. And there he fell headlong. His body burst open and his intestines spilled out. Intestines, Greek word. Splachna. Passion. What? How do we get guts and splachna and passion? Well, what they do is they add a verb, zomei. To splachna, and it literally means moved in the guts. That's what it means. Anytime you speak, I'm gonna say this Nope, dang it. Been practicing. Splachna, yeah, you got it. Splachna zomei, if you're hearing online and you're a scholar, ignore me, thank you. Uh, it's usually attached to what makes people emotional. So let's look at the life of Jesus. If I ask you what Jesus was passionate about, one of the top things that Jesus was passionate about was helping hurting people. When he's walking along and he sees the lepers and their skin is falling off, they're outcasts, they have to live outside of town, it says that Jesus was moved deeply in his spirit. It uses the word, when he sees the two, word, the two men who were born blind, Jesus is full of compassion. Again, the same word. Moved in the guts. Luke 7, Jesus sees the funeral procession of a dead boy. Verse 13, it says that Jesus' heart went out to the mother. Again, the word is shplotnizomai. And Jesus tells the mom, don't cry, and brings that boy back to life. He is passionate about lost and hurting people. God has placed in your life, in your lunch sack, certain passions. Now, they might change over time. What I was passionate about at 20... I'm 43. Not the same passion. But what are you passionate about? Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's children that are abandoned or at risk. Maybe it's sports, literature, music. Maybe it's people that are hungry and homeless. What are you passionate about? This little boy in John 6 had a lunch. And the main lesson from him is that you have a lunch that God has packed for you. Do you know what your lunch is? So you have talents and abilities. Do you know what they are? Because you need to know. You have spiritual gifts. If you, if you believe in Jesus, you've given your life to him. He has given you, according to promises of scripture, spiritual gift slash gifts. Do you know what they are? You need to know. 
He's given you passions in your life. Do you know what they are? You need to know. Because how do you live your life for Christ if you don't know what he has equipped you for? He has a life planned for you. And he's equipped you for that life. But if you don't know what you've been equipped for, how can you live it? But not only is it important for you to know what your launch is, because you can know all those things. You can know what you're good at. You can know what spiritual gift God's given you. You can know what you're passionate about and still not help grow the kingdom of God. How do you impact the kingdom? Is after you know all that, you decide. Are you going to share your lunch with Jesus or am I going to keep it to myself? Some people say, I know what my lunch holds, but it's my lunch. I'm not sharing my lunch. I've worked hard on these things. I've developed this. How can I use this for me? The other way to live life is to say, I know what my lunch is, and I'm going to share it with Jesus. You go back to, to John 6. A lot of people look at what God's given them, and they say, well, I would share my lunch, but it's not, there's not much there. It's not very valuable. I'm not super talented. I don't really have a passion for this. It's not very impressive according to the standards of this world. I don't think God can use it. Well, that's what happens in John 6. John 6, 8, 9, Andrew, one of the disciples of Jesus, so one of his guys, says, I got a lunch here. It's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. How far can they really go? This is a guy that was on the boat when Jesus said stop and the wave stopped. This is a guy that was with Jesus every day. But he said, eh, that lunch, that's not very impressive. This little, little boy had a lunch no one seemed impressed with. But some more Greek words for you to see how small this lunch was. So the word, the word barley is, it's not just five loaves. It says there's five barley loaves. A lot of times in our world we think five loaves of bread. Like a little kid, five loaves. Well, as a kid, I thought, well, five loaves of bread is a ton of food. Five loaves of Wonder Bread, that's wonderful. Give me some peanut butter and jelly and let's go, right? It says five barley loaves. Why? Barley was a grain saved for the animals. Mostly for cattle and sheep. But if the family was poor, they would take that barley, they would grind it up and mix it with their wheat. It was cost-effective and made the wheat go farther. This was not the lunch of a rich family. It was the meal of the poor family. And the word for fish shows it's not very impressive either. See, when I say you got two fish, Gary, yeah, Gary went fish and pulled in two giant walleye. Now, the word for this is obserion. It literally means a tidbit. A sardine. Some people think it was a paste that you spread on the bread. <laughs> fish paste. Hey, Ma, can I get some fish paste? <laughs> like pickled fish. The point is, this meal is not a meal for a man. It was barely a snack for a little boy. But look at what Jesus does with this small lunch given to him voluntarily. John 6, 10, it says... Jesus said, have the people sit down. 
There was plenty of grass in that place. The men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Now, we don't know how this happened. We don't know if there are baskets out there. He took the bread. He put it in there, said a prayer, and then they just started overflowing. We don't know if it was kind of like Elijah and the widow where she just, it just kept coming out even though there was not, didn't look like there was anything in there and they just kept pulling bread. We don't know how it looked. But what we do know is that he took barley loaves and sardines and fed thousands of people. And the people ate as much as they wanted. And then there were leftovers, 12 baskets of leftovers. From a little bitty lunch in the hands of Jesus. He used it to make a difference that affects the kingdom forever. And that's the second key to this. You might have a small lunch, but a small lunch in the hands of Jesus still does unbelievable things. This boy could have come up with excuses of why he didn't want to share. He says, my lunch, I won't get any if I give it away. It's not big enough to make a difference anyway. But instead, he allowed Jesus to use whatever he had, and he teaches us a lesson today. So you know... There are more talented people than you or I. There are people more talented than a little finger than I have in my own body, my whole body. Life is, their life is full of Twinkies and Ho-Hos. Their lunch is packed full of fruit roll-ups. They got all the good stuff. But they say, I'm not sharing with the Lord. I'm going to use it for my own benefit. What can I gain from using what God has blessed me with? Yet when you look at how the kingdom of God works, you see that God continually blesses those who give all they have his kingdom so how are you going to use your launch and who are you going to trust with your launch a soccer ball at my feet is worth $25 you go buy one at Walmart for $25 at the feet of Lionel Messi he just signed a contract that will eventually be valued at over 1.5 billion dollars B billion a tennis racket in my hand kills yellow jackets it makes my kids laugh. In the hands of Novak Djokovic, it means 24 Grand Slam titles. A stick in my hand can be a pretend sword to fight Titus in the backyard. But a stick in the hands of Moses parted the Red Sea. It depends on who is holding the stick. Two fish, five loaves in my hands is barely a filet of fish sandwich. But in the hands of Jesus, it can feed thousands. You know what I love about this church, what I tell my minister friends about, is that it is full of people who still love sharing their lunch with Jesus. Ashley Phillips shared last week that we needed helpers for Russellmania. Before she left the auditorium, the two spots she needed were filled. We announced we need food for the food pantry. That cart out there gets filled up. But there's still lots of places that Rush Church needs help. Your time, your talent, your money. In areas like the backyard, we need teachers and helpers every week in the backyard. Same thing for the hallway. We need people to go hold babies. Just go hold a baby. Tell them Jesus loves them. Student ministries serve a meal every week on, Wednesday, on Sunday nights. The worship ministry needs people dedicated to help with sound, singers, or someone that can actually play a guitar. There it is. Give it a second. We need new deacons to step up and help serve the body of the church here in Russellvania. We've had some guys leave because they've moved. There's a need. 
I'm so glad I thank God that he has allowed me for the last almost 20 years to be a part of this church that still shares their lunch with him. God is still totally in love with using five barley loaves and two small fish. So will you use your lunch, what God has packed for you, to benefit his kingdom? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you have blessed us with. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy. Lord, we thank you that you don't ask for perfection, but you ask for dedication, commitment. Lord, I pray that we as uh, followers of you would look for ways to use the abilities, those passions, those gifts that you have given to us that we can help grow your kingdom for your glory, not for our own. Lord, again, I thank you for this opportunity to speak, to challenge, and to be spoken to as well. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us? Lord, I come, I i 
So this morning, the challenge is pretty simple. God packed a lunch for your life. He gave you gifts, abilities, talents, and passion. So now the choice is simply this. Are you going to keep it to yourself, or is it time to open your lunch bag and say, God, you gave me this, how can you use it for your kingdom? There's an old Danish proverb that says, what you are is God's gift to you. What you do with yourself is your gift back to God. Let's have a great week.